Fado, Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale, they told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. Though Queen Maeve had laughed at the idea that one man could stand against her mighty army, still that night a whisper went around the camp. The hound, the hound of Ulster. I heard he killed twenty men before he was ten. I heard it was thirty. I heard he was trained on the Isle of Skye by the great shadowy warrior Skog. I heard he carries the gay bulga, a spear made from the bones of a sea serpent. I heard he's not a man at all, but a monster, a great wolf that can take the form of a man. I heard he has seven toes on each foot and seven fingers on each hand. The whispers passed from frightened mouth to fearful ear, and on and on, and with each retelling, the fearsome feats of the Hound of Ulster grew and grew. But there was one among the camp who laughed when he heard the tales. Oh yes, said this young man with golden hair. It's all true, and worse. When he's angry, when his battle frenzy comes upon him, he goes under a great transformation. Every muscle on his body bulges out so you can see the knots and sinews. Every hair on his body stands on end and is so sharp you could pierce an apple on it. His jaw distends like that of a wolf and the flesh is pulled back so that you can see every one of the sharpened teeth. One of his eyes shrinks down so deep into his skull that you couldn't pull it out with a knife. The other becomes so large and protruding it lulls on his cheek. His knees turn backwards and... That's enough, Ferdia cut in Fergus. For the youth with the golden hair, who had been taking such gruesome delight in describing all the details of Cuchulain's transformation under his battle fury, under his hero light, was Ferdia, foster brother and boyhood friend of the great champion of Ulster. And though Fergus tried to shush Ferdia from scaring the men with tales of Cuchulain and his great, almost supernatural feats, still the whispers spread and the stories grew and grew. There was not a man among the Connacht army who did not wake at some stage in that night, thinking he had heard the howl of a hound, and there was not a man in that whole army who did not shiver at the thought of the mighty Cuchulain stalking them. For the hound was stalking them. The next day when they rode off, Queen Maeve at the head of the army in her battle chariot, a stone suddenly whizzed through the air and clipped the stoat wound round her neck, killing it dead. Maeve raised her sword, prepared to unleash her anger on whoever had been so foolish as to kill her pet. But another stone whizzed through the air, this time striking the temple of her charioteer, killing them dead. A small group of Connacht soldiers were sent to fetch wood. When they did not return, some of their companions went to see where they had gone. And when they too did not return, a larger force went to see what had happened to them. And they found them in pieces hanging from the trees. That was how the hound stalked the army, watching, waiting, looking for the stragglers, for those who ventured away from the safety of the pack, waiting for small groups to become isolated, then striking down on them and disappearing again into the forests. After three days and three nights of this, the fear grew so great that no man would take even a few steps alone into the wood to relieve himself. They went in packs fully armed to piss, hands constantly upon their weapons. They feared to sleep, feared to turn their backs to the darkness, lest the hound should strike. 
after three days and three nights of watching her great and mighty army be reduced to a gibbering wreck, Maeve called to Fergus MacRoish. We can go on no longer like this. Your hound picks off our numbers, and those left behind have become fearful of every shadow. They hear an owl hoot in the night, and they claim it's the call of the hound. They hear a twig break underfoot, and they claim it's the hound snapping bones with its teeth. But I know this hound is only a man, and every man has a price. So tell me, Fergus, what is the price for this Cúhalin? What should I offer him? Silver? Gold? The friendship of my thighs? What must I offer him? Fergus shook his head. There was not gold or silver enough in all the world to turn Cúhalin against Ulster. No woman's thighs could make him put down his arms in its defence. If he cannot be bought, then how can he be drawn out? We must end these raids by night. The deeds done in the shadow only add to the whispers that circle the camp. We must face him by day, where all can see him, where all can see that he is just a man, just one man. Fergus nodded his head. Give me leave to go then, and I will see if I can find and speak with him. And with that, Fergus MacRoish left the tent of Queen Maeve. But there was someone else outside the tent, Aleel, husband and consort of Maeve. Up until this point, Aleel had achieved and maintained the three conditions that Maeve asked for in a husband. He was as brave as her, willing to charge into battle at the head of his men. He was as generous as her, in giving gifts and rewards and hospitality to guests. And up to that moment, he had been without jealousy. Aleel had known when he married Maeve that she would have lovers. Indeed, he himself had been her lover while she was married to another man, her third husband. And throughout their marriage, she had taken many other men to her bed. But Aleel had always felt secure, sure of his place in her affection, certain of his position as her husband and consort, confident he would remain her primary partner. But now, now he began to have doubts. Aleel was the son and brother of a king, but Fergus had been a king, and indeed the men that followed him still treated him as such. Aleel had been the captain of the guard, but it was Fergus who now led the army. Aleel was Maeve's husband, but it was Fergus who shared her tents most nights. And Aleel was Maeve's fourth husband. He had seen firsthand how she would replace one spouse if a more suitable candidate came along. And while the men of his army feared the hound, Aleel feared losing his place to Fergus. And it was this fear, this jealousy and envy of Fergus, that had caused Aleel to sneak one night into Fergus's tent and take his sword, the great Calagvolg, Fergus's mighty two-handed sword, a sword whose arc was that of a rainbow, a sword it was said could cut the top of three mountains with one strike. Only Fergus could wield the mighty blade, and Calagvolg had become a symbol of all that the former King of Ulster was. And so, out of pettiness, spite and jealousy, Aleel took the mighty blade, the sign of Fergus's great virility, and hid it. And Fergus, finding his sword missing, well, he could not let the men know. He could not let his army know that his mighty weapon had been taken from him. So he carved a sword from wood and placed it in the scabbard. And as long as he was not forced to draw the sword, the ruse held. Aleel was standing outside the tent, listening, and he heard that Fergus was to go and to meet with Cúhalin with the Hound of Ulster, 
and he smiled to himself as he watched Fergus walk away, by his side, a wooden sword. And Alil found himself sending up a silent prayer that the hound would rip the mighty Fergus MacRoish to pieces. But alas for poor Alil, Fergus returned some time later, sword on drawn. He had met with Cuhullin, met with the hound, and the two of them had come to an arrangement. Cuhullin would cease harrowing Maeve's army. Instead, each day he would stand by the ford, and Maeve could send forth one champion to fight him. For as long as the two fought, Maeve's army could travel unencumbered. But once the fighting was done, once the champion was slain, for Cuhullin was very confident that he could defeat any champion Maeve might send against him, the army must halt until the next day and the next battle at the ford. Maeve readily agreed to this. She had many champions and heroes to call upon, and she felt certain that the sight of the youth by daylight would banish the whispers of the night. So Maeve, Aleel and Fergus went in search of one who would stand at the ford and fight Cuhullin, but the men seemed reluctant to step forward. They had heard the whispers, heard the stories of the Hound of Ulster, and none was willing to face him alone. Maeve grew exasperated. Is there none among you willing to stand at the forge and claim the glory of a hero? I'll stand, called one. But it's not glory I ask for. What then? said Maeve, turning to the one who had spoken. One called Nad Cantrell. Give me the hand of your daughter, Findivar, and I'll slay this pup of Ulster. Now the daughter of Aleel and Maeve, Findivar of the fair eyebrows, was already wedded to the handsome Freyk. But Maeve knew that one husband could easily be replaced by another, and so she agreed. Nad Cantrell went to face Cuhullin at the forge. He would be the first of the Connacht men to do so, but not the last. Nad Cantrell left the camp with nine sharpened holly sticks. Sharpened by the sword, then hardened in the fire, he went to meet the famous hero and champion, the warrior by the ford. But when he arrived, he saw a youth. A boy with golden hair standing on the far side of the water. Who are you? he called to the beautiful boy. And the boy called back. I am Cuhullin, Hound of Ulster. Are you the man I am to kill this day? Now Cantrell threw back his head and laughed. So this is the mighty hound who has been nipping at the heels of Maeve's army. Go home, boy, before your mother catches you out. The youth on the other side of the river fumed. I am Cuhullin, member of the Red Branch Knights, and I am here to protect Ulster. I came out this day to fight a warrior, not a fool. The boy's tone angered Nag Cantrell, and so he threw one of his sharpened holly sticks at the boy for his insolence. It flew swift as a javelin, but swifter was the foot of the boy as he leapt into the air to avoid it. He had thrown the first of the sticks of the holly spears, meaning only to scare the boy away but when he saw the skill at which the boy dodged, he threw the second with more deadly aim, and more deadly still the third, and each time the boy dodged just as swiftly as the first, leaping up into the air as if he was about to take flight. When all nine of the holly spears had been thrown, the boy had not a scratch upon him. Where is your sword and your shield? For upon my honour I will not fight an unarmed man, called the boy from across the river. And I will not fight a beardless boy. With that, Nad Cantrell turned his back to the ford and stormed back to Maeve's camp. But a shout came to him from across the river. 
Come back with your sword and your shield, and I shall come back with a beard, and then we shall fight warrior to warrior. Nad Contrell went back to the Connacht camp, retrieved his sword and shield and returned to the ford, followed by a great troop of the Connacht men who wished to see the battle commence. And to Cuchulain for his part, when he returned to the ford, he was no longer a smooth-cheeked youth. Indeed, if the men of Connacht would not fight him without a beard, then a beard he would have. He had plucked blackberries and squashed them against his face, smearing the juice and the dye over his chin and cheeks so that he had the semblance of a beard. Of course, when Nad Cantrell and the men of Connacht saw this, they began to laugh and jeer. Oh, look at this! Playing fancy dress, are we? Give your sword back to your daddy and stop playing soldier boy. This caused a great anger to rise up in Cuchulain's breast. And in that moment, by the light of day, all the whispers of the camp came true. The hero light came upon Cuchulain, the great battle frenzy. To those who stood there, it did indeed seem as if he grew, as if the bones stretched and they could hear muscle and sinew pop as his jaw began to distend, his lips pulling back to reveal a mouth full of sharp teeth, muscles bulged on his arms, each one covered in thick, throbbing veins. The hair on his head and his body stood on end like that of a wildcat, like that of a wolf. The eyes of seven colours glinted strangely in his head, one shining with light, one shining with dark, and with a great snarling roar he leapt across the ford and landed on the rim of Nad Cantrell's shield. Before the Connacht men had time to even draw breath, Cuchulain's shield was drawn and Nad Cantrell was hacked to four pieces and Cuchulain was back across the other side of the ford. The battle is done for today, snarled the beast. Tell your queen to halt her army till the morrow. And they ran. They ran back to Maeve, to Aleel, to Fergus, telling them of what had happened, of how they had seen the hound. And Maeve snarled, and her snarl was almost as fearsome as that of the great hound of Ulster himself. An army is slow to move. They had only just got everyone going when they had to stop again. They were honour-bound only to move forward, while the fighting at the forge continued. And once it stopped, they must halt. If Cuchulain was to dispatch each of her champions as quickly as this, she would never reach the brown bull in time, not before the curse was lifted from the men of Ulster. But then an idea came to her. An army is slow to move, but a few men, a few skilled men, could travel quickly, even keeping to the terms of the agreement, only moving forward while there was fighting at the ford, could easily travel to Coolie and back taking the prized bull with them. So all Maeve had to do was keep Cuchulain busy, keep him fighting champions of the ford. Maeve turned to her armies, to the champions and heroes she had assembled. To any man who can fight Cuchulain at the ford and win, I offer this as the prize. His weight in silver, the friendship of my thighs, and the hand of my own daughter, Findavar of the fair eyebrows. And for some, this glittering prize was enough to banish the fears of the night. Champions came to meet Cuchulain at the ford. Carmac Dalta went, and the fighting was great with swords, and blood turned the ford red, till Cuchulain, picking up an apple, threw it straight through the warrior's head and out the other side. Leith MacDarbo went and fell, as did Froic Mac Tyr Anglis. Liron Mac Noyce went up against the Ulster champion and Cuchulain took him in his arms and squeezed him tight till the blood flowed from his mouth and the shit from his bowels. 
and then threw him like a rag to the waiting arms of his brother. Of all those who fought against Cuchulain at the ford, Liron was the only to survive, though he lived the rest of his days in terrible pain, for all his organs had been moved about in him, and to eat or even breathe was agony, and he wished that his name too was on that list of men who died at the ford. And May watched as the finest heroes of Ireland were crushed and hacked and slain, all the while knowing that while her army slowly crawled forward, a swift band of raiders were making their way to Cooley and would soon return with the bull. And that's it for this episode of Tackling the Tawn. I apologise, uh, the pronunciations are, well, they're my best approximation at the pronunciation, and you have my apologies. The Battle at the Ford is again one of those bits where time sort of seems to go a bit wibbly-wobbly because the men of Ulster are only meant to be under the curse for nine days, but if you read some of the versions, it seems like Cuchulain's spending a month at the Ford battling people. There's also the thing of who does he actually battle at the Ford and who does he battle later. I was going to include his interactions with the Morrigan and with Ferdia in this episode, but I decided to put them off to next episode because I think they're quite big and dramatic. So we've got that bit to look forward to. If you're enjoying this, please do let me know. This is not the official version of the Torn. This is my telling of the Torn. And if you have any thoughts or opinions, I would really love to hear them. Uh, all these social media links, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they're all in the episode descriptions. I'd love to hear what you think of this version. And if you have a preferred telling or a favourite telling or a favourite version of events, please, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again with more battles. And until then, please stay safe. Mm-hmm.